I'm Jeff Steiner, Pioneer Rep covering North of Toronto, and this is the Pioneer Made to Grow podcast. Thanks, Jeff, and thank you for joining us here on the Pioneer Made to Grow podcast. We've had a great start to this show, talking everything from the conditions to plant into in episode one, all the way to our conversations in the last episode on some of the new technology that's available to growers and how you might be able to come up with a plan for investing and getting more out of that tech. In this episode, we're going to stick to our conversation about new things, but this time, take a look at the stages before that seed even ends up in a bag on your farm. After all, the effort going into these hybrids and varieties is a fascinating one, and certainly not something that can be done overnight. To start that journey for us, we're going to head into the Midwestern U.S., to Iowa, to catch up with Jordan Spear, Evaluation Zone Lead with Corteva. Thanks for joining us, Jordan. Maybe you can kick things off for us by telling us a bit about, as an Evaluation Zone Lead, what you're doing on a daily basis. So what it means, I, my background is, um, and my education is is all in, in plant breeding, plant genetics, um, and, and so... You know, I have a responsibility to, um, you know, work with a team of researchers to develop uh, novel genetic solutions that we can, uh, um, you know, provide customers, provide farmers that they can use in their operations. And so currently I work with a group of scientists across the northern U.S. as well as Canada, um, and, and we're focusing on developing new um, new soybean varieties that, uh, that customers can, can, uh, get excited about and utilize in their operations to help them be more successful. And, um, you know, not only products, but also traits and, and things like that, that come with it. Now you mentioned that soybean pipeline. And I think that's one thing that we talk about, you know, when, when companies are always talking about, you know, developing new varieties, um, you know, and developing new products, we hear that a lot, but you know, I, I know for me as a farmer, I, I've heard some of the steps, but, uh, but I'd love to learn a little bit more in terms of what does that process look like for you from kind of the very first step of whatever that number variety is, all the way to the fact where a sales rep's dropping that bag or dropping that tote off to my farm. Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. And, and I, get a, I get some opportunities to, to talk with some, some young kids even about, you know, why get excited about science or, you know, what, what, what goes on in your job. And they, you know, one of the first things I tell them is, you know, it, it takes us seven, eight years to develop a new variety. Um, and, and that's in soybeans. If you worked in another crop, it might be 15 years. Um, and so it's a long process. And honestly, it begins with interactions with our farmer customers. Um, it, it starts with feedback uh, fr from all of all of those folks in the field and, and their operations to hear what what do they need? You know, what what. Um, what, what do they need to improve their, their operation? And then it's, it, it's a, series of, um, a series of processes that goes on over those years. And it starts with, you know, you, you need to, it's, it's kind of like, uh, it's kind of like your, your children. Um, you need to develop, uh, you need to produce um, through crossing of, of, you know, known varieties. Let's say you, you cross two known varieties together and you're going to get a series of offspring that are all different from one another. And your goal as a plant breeder uh, is to find that one that is superior to everything else. Um, and, and so you, you make that cross in year one and you spend the next seven years, you know, screening those. And when, when I say screening, I mean growing those in, in research trials. Maybe it's understanding the genetics of each and every one of those offspring. 
ultimately with, with the goal in mind that come year seven, year eight, year nine, you know, you're going to be able to take that product out to a farmer and say, you know, here's why I'm really excited about this product. Here's why it's better than what I'm currently selling or, or what you're currently having access to. Um, you should give this one a try. You know, we, we live in a world where yield performance and, and what you can sell is directly related to profitability. So, so we have a lot of focus on making sure that we continue to increase yield. And, and we do that through, you know, like I said, making crosses and, and evaluating the progeny over a, a, a series of, of years. Now, when you do mention that that feedback, and you already mentioned it, that yield is obviously one of those big factors. I, I, I'm not sure you ever get feedback that from a farmer that says they don't want more yield all the time. That's kind of checkbox one. But give me an idea. What other kind of feedback have you been getting the last several years? Or, or what are your priorities as you're breeding these new varieties now that growers maybe can expect in the next little bit? Yeah, I think, you know, certainly, you know, there's never been a, never been an interaction that I've had with a farmer that says, you know, I've, I've just, I'm filling the bins way too full, you know, and, and I grew up on a farm, you know, I'm, my, my dad still farms. I, I got to go home and, and plant some, some corn here a, a week or so ago. So I, you know, I stay very close to the farm and, um, you know, I think that really helps me relate to, you know, as, as I'm leading a group of researchers developing new products, you know, I firsthand experience know of, of what, what uh you know the the customers need and so i you know i think you know one of the things that that um you know it's kind of like all of our you know we can all relate to even even if we're not a farmer that you know one of the challenges with farming is just you know some of the risk you know and 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 lack of maybe instability let's call it and so you know from a genetics perspective i sit here and i say you know what can i do um to provide a genetic solution to a farmer that he or she can be confident that no matter what year he or she plants that, no matter what farm he or she plants that product, they will have a successful experience. And so a lot of what I'm doing, yeah, is not only trying to elevate yield performance, but it's also ensuring that that yield performance is stable from environment to environment, farm to farm, year to year. And so we put a lot of effort into understanding uh, those kind of things because we don't want a customer to have a, you know, a poor experience. Then when you do start that process based on that feedback and you're starting to think through what that is, I mean, you mentioned you're, you know, making these crosses. I mean, I'm assuming what you're starting with is a whole lot more than what you're going to end up with after eight years. Yeah, that's exactly right. And so when I say we're making a cross, what we actually have to do in, in you know, those of you that might be familiar with a corn plant, it's probably a little bit easier to, to, to visualize where you know, you're, you're pollinating, you're taking pollen from a tassel and you're, you're putting it on the silks of an ear. Uh, in soybean, um, the, the flowers themselves are, are what we call perfect flowers, meaning they will actually pollinate themselves. And so what we have to do is we have to take apart, we have to dissect a flower from one variety, one plant in one variety, and, and you have to pollinate um, the, the, the flower of another variety. Um, and so it's a, it's a tedious exercise. You know, every pollination you know, you might, you might get, you know, I think on average, we're, we're going to get two seeds, one and a half seeds, let's call it in a, in a pollination. And probably only 50% of your pollinations are actually going to be successful. The others will just die. Um, and so you're going to start with, with very few seeds, but, but ultimately what you're trying to do is, is you're going to, you're going to start ramping that up really quickly. Okay. So, so you make a cross between two varieties, every offspring you create in that cross is genetically different. Um, no two, um, no two offspring in that cross are going to be the same. Um, so it's very different from a bag of seed that, that a farmer is going to grow where in a bag of seed, every, every seed in that bag is going to be genetically identical. 
However, when we go and make a cross, every seed's going to be different. And, and, and so um, we're going to let that segregate, we call it, which is, which is just, um, you know, alleles and genes are going to, are going to, um, are, are going to differentiate the different varieties, just like, you know, all, all children and, and all people are, are a little bit different, just like every variety is a little bit different. Um, and so we're going to start with, with thousands upon thousands of, of different varieties or different, you know, different paired crosses. Um, and then we're going to, we're going to start there and we're going to use, you know, this is probably where some of the, the most significant advances in technology have helped us um, improve the, the rate at which we bring new products to the market. Um, because we can start selecting uh, superior products much quicker than we ever had. Uh, we, we, we developed those products through that crossing exercise. Now we can use um, our understanding of DNA and genetics to understand or, 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 or uh, um, predict how all of those offspring are going to perform. It's kind of like, uh, you know, being able to predict that a, that a child is going to be an NBA basketball player, you know, when they're a child. Um, that's, that's exactly what we're trying to do in our, in our breeding programs. We're, we're predicting that this child is going to be the best soybean variety that, that he or she has ever grown on their, on their farm in five to seven years, eight years. Um, and, and that's where the advances have really given us um, confidence and ability to, to be way more uh, aggressive and bringing those products to the market quicker and, and much faster. But it has to, to your point, it has to start with a really big funnel um, that, that has a lot of options, a lot of potential varieties in it, um, because 99.9% .9 of those varieties are not going to have the, the right combination of genetics in order to, to, to you know, be the superior product that, that everybody's come to expect from a, a Pioneer bag. I'm curious, Jordan, do you ever get satisfied? Like, do you ever end and you get this variety and you say, man, we finally did it. We got that one. Or is it just a case of, yep, this is better, but man, what if we could do this? I mean, where do you come at this from? That's, that's a great point. And, and no, you never do get fully satisfied. You know, you never, you never just, uh, you're like, okay, it's, it's done. You know, I've done it. I'm, I'm moving on. Um, you know, which I guess is a good thing, right? I mean, it's, we're, we're always motivated for better and, and plant breeders just in general, we, we can be very skeptical people, you know, we're, we, uh, you know, one of the things that one of the experiences, you know, I, I always, you know, I'm going out there and I'm visually taking ratings on all my products and, and, uh, you know, I have a really hard time. We score everything, say one to 10 on a, on a rating scale, 10 being the best one being the worst. I always have a really hard time giving any tens because I always know there's something that could be better, you know? And, uh, you know, so, so you always have that mindset. Um, you, you never really get fully content, you know, with, with where you're at, but I think, you know, that, that drive, um, is, is what, um, you know, what fuels progress, you know, just like, uh, you know, none of our customers ever get uh, content with where they're at for yields or things like that. And, and honestly, the world is changing that the, the, as, as you know, anybody listening to this in, in the farming community knows, I mean, goals and, and targets of, of farms are, is changing all the time. And so um, pests, you know, change things, things become uh, more diverse, you know, that you need, maybe you need a different pest resistance than you had. Maybe you need a different herbicide resistance than you had the last couple of years. So, so no, you know, nothing, nothing ever gets stagnant and uh, you know, we're always trying to get more. Well, that sounds like a great way to end this portion of the podcast. Jordan, thanks for joining us. You know, appreciate the opportunity to get to, to work with, with our customers and, and uh, you know, be a partner in their operations with them. Next into our show is a more local look at the research process. To do that, we've tracked down Sheila Murphy, the research operations lead based just north of Woodstock at Corteva's Research and Development Center. 
Sheila, maybe you can give folks an idea of what's at the R&D Center, especially for those that haven't been by it on Highway 59. Sure. So at the Research Center here, we have two corn breeding programs, one soybean breeding program, and uh, late stage impact testing, as well as a few other support teams, including research equipment specialists and HR. And so when you drive past, you probably don't uh, understand the depth and the breadth of the people that are working here. But as you do drive past, you'll see our brand new 53,000 square foot facility. I think previously, if you drove past, you might not take a second look, but now you can't miss us. And we have been on this farm since the 1970s. And as, as we've grown and expanded, we have 100 acres total. Um, on both 50 acres on each side of the highway. And on the farm here, we uh, do seed production for both corn and soybeans for our breeding programs, as well as uh, that provides an opportunity for the breeders to evaluate and observe any of their very early stage material in the breeding process. That expansion you mentioned, it absolutely is an obvious one. What was the reason behind that investment? We needed the expansion because we needed some more space because we did expand um, our footprint as we merged in 2017 as uh, Heritage Pioneer and Heritage Dow Agrosciences came together to be Corteva. So that meant a bigger team more people, more equipment. So we needed some space and, and there were various um, options on the table about how do we get that space. And it was very important to me and our research leaders that we stay in the community. Like I said, we've been on this farm since the 1970s. We are have a prime location because we're smack dab in the heart of agriculture in Ontario which means that we can visit research plots within a two or three hour radius and look at different environments. Um, so it made sense to keep our footprint on our farm here in Oxford County. And then the size of the building is a testament to, you know, how much is going on inside of it, how many people we have, how much state of the art research equipment we have, and um, just, space to keep pushing the envelope, to keep um, developing technologies that we use to phenotype our plots. You mentioned, Sheila, the impact testing, which for those that aren't aware, stands for Intensively Managed Product Advancement Characterization and Training, which is a long enough title we'll keep using impact as the acronym. What's that mean? It is our late stage testing. So, as we know, um, breeding takes a long time. So a hybrid that a, a breeder um, envisions today won't come to market for seven years. Um, and so through the pipeline, uh, as the, the breeder envisions a, a new hybrid or a new variety, we start out um, testing a lot of different genetics, but on in a smaller number of environments. But as something progresses or advances through the pipeline, we start testing fewer products or fewer genetics in way more environments. And so that's what's special about impact is that we it's our um, winners. They're just about to go commercial. It's very exciting. 
and we test them in a wide range of environments. And, and again, that's why Woodstock is so special because we can test on various soil types and we can test uh, maturities from 103 to 75 RM in corn. Now I've got to ask you one more question that's a bit out of the blue, but it comes from the fact that we've chatted before and I found one of your employees to be a pretty fascinating guy. Can you talk a bit about Boris? Yes, Boris is, uh, doesn't have a heartbeat, uh, doesn't have two feet, but Boris is, is a crucial member of our phenotyping team. Boris is a wind machine. Um, this is proprietary technology to Corteva. And this is a machine that we can drive through our plots that we grow specially, and it will simulate a windstorm through two massive fans. So uh, the corn will, the, the air is very turbulent. The corn will whip back and forth as we drive Boris through the field. Once he's done his damage, the crew gets boots on the ground and we go through and we count what stood up to Boris. And uh, so th and that gives us very important phenotyping information for late season stock strength. I think it goes back to that point you mentioned, the fact that yield is number one, but there's so many factors that go into yield that testing things, you know, like stock strength, it, it sounds pretty critical to your team. Very much so, very much so, because, um, and that's something that is very specific to Ontario. We know that um, as we make things yield more, they can sometimes come at a cost to the plant. Um, it, will, it will take away from its stock strength to fill that ear. And so we are trying to get a good balance of both high yield, strong stocks, low incidence jib, and then of course in soybeans, low incidence of white mold. Sheila, it's exciting to hear about the growth and investment in Ontario and Woodstock. Thanks for walking us through your work. Excellent. Great to chat today. Our last guest in our show about the stages of research and development and all the efforts to get those products to you, the grower, is a voice that is no stranger to Ontario agriculture. Dave Harwood is Technical Services Manager for Corteva covering Eastern Canada. Dave, thanks for taking some time today. I know you've slipped into a conference room and out of the plots for this. Maybe you can connect the research team that we've been talking about and the agronomy team for us. How does that pipeline connect from research to the infield agronomy? I think what really differentiates the last stage of product evaluation that I'm involved with, with the agronomy team, as you're alluding to, is that we look at a relatively small number of candidate new products each year in relation to what our colleagues in up, upstream in the pipeline do. They look at thousands and thousands. We look at tens and twenties of products and really do a deep dive on their strengths and considerations. Whereas the research organization looking at so many materials, they're more data-driven looking at the the, the hard data, uh, selecting those that are floating to the top, whereas we're kicking the tires, uh, examining these products in the area where they'll be used if they advance and really pressure testing them. You know, do they have enough jib ear rot tolerance? Do they have enough northern leaf blight tolerance? Are their stocks good enough? Um, uh, and or is there does their grain 
have the quality we need in Eastern Canada. Uh, all of those things can sort of make their way to fairly late stages in product evaluation, products with characteristics for those traits that maybe are less than ideal. And so we're really that final filter to say, you know, these are the ones that, that have what it takes to be successful in our market. Well, and we were talking to Sheila about this too, the benefits of having the local testing. Maybe you can explain from the grower perspective, what's the benefit of having that testing so local, not just in plots in various parts of the countryside, but that large R&D center in southwestern Ontario too? Yeah, well, I think, you know, some seed businesses operate on the model of sort of parachuting products into the region and evaluating them and identifying those that they would like to commercialize. Um, so those are products that have been conceived and developed somewhere else. And then they say, you know, they may work in Ontario, so we'll send it over there and do some testing. Uh, whereas we do have that benefit of, by, of having research infrastructure here in Eastern Canada, where we're actually conducting product development uh, to build, you know, as we call it, a period of years of experience with the product as it moves through the pipeline locally, and then can do that, that final validation I've been speaking of, the really intense pressure testing um, locally. So it, 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 that provides a really powerful set of information. You've got, you've got a number of years, um, you've got local observations, combine that with wide area data that is just a lot of information. So it becomes very powerful. And, and then with, with all that combined, we can make predictions of what products are, are going to perform in this region. And that's really what we're doing when we're evaluating these hybrids or varieties. We're saying in the future, how are they going to perform? That, that's what we're trying to accomplish. And the best prediction is really by combining that local and wide area information that I was speaking of. Now, just to wrap up then, Dave, you know, one of the things that, you know, when I talk to growers and probably you find the same thing is that everybody's got their favorite varieties or their favorite hybrids that they say, yep, this, this is the one that I keep planning because it keeps delivering. But obviously, you know, when we talk about, you know, some of these things that are, you know, coming in terms of issues that we've got to overcome and, you know, just just frankly, the quality of the hybrids, you know, that, that we're improving yield all the time. Um, you know, what do you tell those growers? How do you get growers, um, you know, convinced that, you know, maybe they want to try some of these new varieties? Yeah, I, I think the, uh, the, the the biggest message I would have is trust us <laughs> uh, and that that might raise suspicion among some, but I but as I've described, we really do exhaustively test these things, and we're striving for uh, genetic progress, genetic gain, as we call it. And and so everything we bring forward predicts to have a higher level of productivity than what we had before. So as a grower, you you should take advantage of advances in in genetics, the genetic gain, as as I said. Um, but I do understand the comfort that comes with a, a, a proven product. So I think the balance, you know, everything in life seems to be just striking the right balance. And I think so the balance for a corn or soybean farmer to me is to keep looking at those new products when 
a pioneer sales rep says, you know, we've got this brand new soybean that has improved sudden death and good white mold and looks like it's going to yield two bushels more than the one you've just been very happy with. Um, you know, try some, you know, so, so get it on your farm. I, I'm not uh, suggesting you plant the entire farm to a brand new product, but, you know, dip your toe in the water and, um, and take advantage of the genetic progress that is taking place. Sounds like great advice, Dave. Thanks very much for the time today. You're welcome. Enjoyed it. And that's it for our episode talking about the research and development pipeline in the seed business. Thanks to Jordan, Sheila, and Dave for taking the time to walk through it all. On our next and final spring episode, it may be a bit early to think about fungicides on corn and soybeans, but it's a question we hear more and more growers talking about. To apply or not to apply? That's the question we'll tackle next time. On behalf of the entire Pioneer team, thank you so much for listening to the Pioneer Made to Grow podcast. If you enjoyed today's show, we hope you'll recommend us to a friend or rate us on your preferred podcast platform. You can also get in touch on Twitter at Pioneer Seeds CA or my personal handles, Fresh Air Farmer. And for more information or advice, you can always talk to your local Pioneer rep or visit Pioneer.com.